when it comes to surgery, it's actually a very clean type of surgery. It's uh, extremely like you know what I liked about cardiac surgery was uh, you know going into it. It's extremely intense. It's not superficial stuff. It's a huge difference in people's lives. Uh, it also has like a lot of interesting physiology that the heart has a lot of relationships to what's going on with the brain and the lungs and the gut and the kidneys. So even though people sometimes take heart surgery, it's just one or two operations. There's actually lots of interactions with the other organ systems. Uh, so I found it was rewarding personally, professionally. Uh, it, I think at the end of the day, it really resonated with my personality of the way I like to do things. Allows a lot of creativity. Oh, hi there, audience. I didn't see you there. I guess we're talking about pivots today. My name is Jeff, and alongside my co-host, Abdo, we interview people who shape the future of health tech and healthcare, like our inimitable guest and pivot connoisseur today, Dr. Jahangir Apu. Jahangir, how are you doing? Well, thanks, Jeffrey. Um, so, I mean, there's there's so, so much to talk about when it comes to I guess what you've done, who you are, and what you will be doing in the future. But really, I think it all just boils back down to your childhood. So let's flash back to that. You spent your time in seven different countries. Can you briefly recount that story to us and how that might have affected your journey to where you are today? Yeah. Um, so I was born in India. I lived in. Uh, Iran for a little while, the UK, Dubai, Japan, back in India, and then I ended up going to high school, arriving in North America with high school in Texas, uh, before coming up to Canada, Iraq University. So that's kind of like my background, like moving around from country to country, mostly so I'll do parents work. And, um, you know, in terms of how it's affected me, I guess we're all affected by different upbringings. Uh, there's pros and cons, so, you know, getting to see different cultures, appreciate how different people do things, being, uh, an immigrant at different places everywhere, weapons that can you, uh, so that sort of, uh, you build some skills of resilience probably around that and, uh, yeah. So I think for, for me, it was, uh, and, you know, I have friends from these different countries, uh, it's also a different perspective on how the world might work. <laughs> I've also done a bit of traveling, uh, just because of my parents, uh, work and all, uh, wh where do you think home is for you then? Yeah, I've been in Canada for a long time and, uh, you know, I think I have, uh, uh, you know, definitely home is Canada and there's this concept you know, people appreciate what they don't have, right? So people have to travel, look forward to traveling, uh, growing up so many different places. I always kind of like wanted to have a sense of belonging to a place. So that's kind of reported to me. And I definitely feel I've grounded here. <laughs> so then tell us a bit about your parents. What was, what was it like growing up traveling all over the world? That sounds very cool for them or for me. I need both. Why not? <laughs> so sure. So my parents, uh, were from uh, India, both of them. And I think, you know, they were 
they had an opportunity, my dad had an opportunity to work with a foreign company and have a chance to get outside of India and, and uh, hopefully give that, you know, his kids a chance for an education, an opportunity uh, elsewhere. So I think that's what they were really focused on. Uh, and uh, so they went through a lot to, for that. Uh, I think they enjoy, you know, traveling. They haven't come from uh, means or families who traveled a lot. So I think it was engaging for them to sort of explore the world and then a real focus on sort of, you know, the children's education, <laughs> study abroad, uh, in India, things are competitive. And if you don't have a lot of means, it's going to be tough. Uh, yeah, I think from, uh, my point of view, it was, uh, you know, exciting to go to different places, but also a challenge. It was also a time where the parents didn't really ask us if we wanted to move schools and things like that. Sometimes we do today. It's like, you know, if they move from this part of the town to that part, it was just like relieving and you go to a different place and different culture and different language and sort of have to adjust. So I, I, I listened and read the transcript of a previous podcast that you had done. And in there, it was mentioned that one of your initial steps towards medicine, uh, was a fascination with genetics and the role that genetic therapies, uh, could play a role in defeating cancer, um, because it, it affects so many different people. Was any of that guided by what your parents said, or was that something, a passion that you discovered on your own? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so much of life is like, we are who we are because we're shaped by our experiences along the journey, right? Like people say, if I knew this 20 years ago, I'd have done something differently or done it in a different fashion, but we only know what we know now because of the steps we've taken. Right. So, uh. My dad was, uh, had a background in engineering, my mom had teaching, so we didn't have any, uh, medical background in the family. And, uh, my parents were very supportive of me studying anything I wanted to study as long as I had studies. And, uh, you know, they would make sure that I would have the opportunity to do that. And so I started off in chemistry at university and, uh, after first year, I switched to biochemistry. And it was really during that journey, like while being in biochemistry course on inborn errors of metabolism, another one on oncogenes. And, uh, that's how I got exposed to like cool stuff that was, you know, I was exposed continuously during my undergrad to cool stuff going on in science, but stuff that really resonated with me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that took you into med school, but. I read that you had a fear of blood. How did you find that out? And then I guess, how did that affect your journey toward cardiothoracic surgery? Cause correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's a bit of blood during surgery. Yeah. Lots of blood. Yeah. So, uh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. The, oh, you caught you off guard. Yeah. <laughs> well, these are kind of interesting stories. Also. So like, uh, again, probably sort of evolution. So, and you know, just being young. Uh, so yeah, when I was growing up, I didn't like the sight of blood, even on TV or watching like war movies or horrific accident scenes, things like that. I was quite like, I would say 
weeds you can't pulling up. Uh, and uh, so actually when I told my parents that uh, I was thinking about applying for medical school, uh, they just kind of laughed at me because like, you know, they knew that I couldn't stand inside blood and I couldn't tolerate having an injection that we used to travel a lot. We used to have, to have lots of vaccinations at different things. We moved to different countries and it was like, a, I would try and run away from the needle and all those kinds of stuff. So as a kid, so when I told my parents that I was, you know, play in school, they kind of thought it was funny. Uh, and then I, you know, what happened in that evolution is that I think in medical school, also a step before that is like, you know, why did I decide to go into med school knowing that I was scared of blood? Uh, I think partly just, you know, maybe the bravado of the young and uh, feeling you could just do things that I kind of wanted to do uh, oncology and hematology and not surgery. So uh, I didn't really think too much about blood. Uh, I was thinking more about genetics. So uh, I went in, but then what happened, I think in, sur in medical school is that one start learning about structures and how they work and their relationships to other things. So when you see things at surgeries, no longer gory details, you know, you're seeing this, you're seeing the superior vena cava and you're seeing the right ventricle and the left ventricle and you're looking at the pulmonary artery and you sort of know the structure and the purpose. So it's, it becomes more meaningful, I think, when Maybe you're just sort of staring at a mess of things. It's a little overwhelming. So I guess knowledge helps, uh, you know, with that pathway. Maybe you mentioned it, but I didn't catch it. So why did you decide to switch to surgery? Cause that's a big jump. <laughs> sure. Life story. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, okay. So since you're asking if we have time, hope you don't run out of time. The, uh, so how did I switch to surgery? Well, uh, I was initially interested in hematology and oncology and I did have my first elective in that, uh, but I felt like I kind of experienced all the side effects of chemotherapy when I was on that quotation and like, I felt like <laughs> nauseous and tired and malaise and like, wasn't really what I thought it would be. So I didn't really enjoy that. And then the second thing I tried, uh, was, uh, ER, uh, because at that time there was that TV show ER and it just come out. Everybody was watching it. Every <laughs> med student was watching it. Every person in my class did an elective at Invert. And so I did elective in Invert and, uh, it was good, but I didn't like the fact that my work was never finished. Like I was working really hard. I was working as fast as possible, but the waiting room was always full. And at the end of my shift, like it was still full. I just did all this stuff, but I could never sort of get sort of closure or completion. And <laughs> for my personal aesthetic, I guess that didn't resonate. Uh, and then surgery, um, I did have an interest in surgery, but I thought it did elective in it for a good reason and that, uh, you know, I'd done some internal medicine electives, I'd done some ER. And what I, I did an elective in surgery because I was, I thought if I go into surgery, I'd go into general surgery, um, and cardiac surgery seemed fairly, a little bit repetitive to me at that time, 
But I thought doing an elective and cardiac surgery for two reasons. One was that, that you get more exposure for technique because the incision is bigger. So as a student, you get to do a little bit more hands-on rather than working for a small incision. So I thought that'd be a good idea. And the second thing was that, uh, I thought I'd learned some cardiology and I felt my cardiology as a medical student weaker than studying my neurology or other things in internal medicine. Uh, so that's the reason I did that rotation, but then during that time, I just had a, had a great time on, uh, on that cardiac surgery rotation. And, uh, so, uh, after that, I decided to I'm still looking at different things and I had a chance encounter, and then I decided to pursue cardiac surgery. I so I think story. a lot of things, you know, up there, like, you know, we, we don't know how things are going to turn out. Uh, we just have our rationales for doing things and then just leads to, leads to new insights. So, yeah. uh, as long as you do things, I think for the, you know, if you think of the right reasons and they're wholesome, uh, we keep learning along the way and, uh, you know, we make our decisions based on our experiences. So I think that's what we've been talking about there for the last 15 minutes is really like how, you know, whatever we do is based on our experiences. So the learning point, I think like when I speak to my kids or others, uh, and, um, just committing to something, right. And then doing it well. And then that road opens up for you. Uh, you know, there's things that one can't imagine one would end up doing, uh, but just by committing to something, doing it well, focusing on it, avenues open up. That's a very wise insight. It sounds like something my dad was here from being honest. <laughs> from where you are though, looking back, how do you feel about your decision now? Uh, decision to go to medical school, you mean? Uh, surgery, cardiothoracic surgery. Yeah. Um, for me, it was a really rewarded career. I really, uh, got a lot out of it. It's technically, uh, challenging when it comes to surgery. It's actually a very clean type of surgery. It's, uh, extremely, like, it's, you know, what I liked about cardiac surgery was, uh, you know, going into it, it's extremely intense. It's not superficial stuff. It's a huge difference in people's lives. Uh, it also has like a lot of interesting physiology that the heart has a lot of relationships to what's going on, the brain and the lungs and the gut and the kidneys. So even though people sometimes take heart surgery, it's just one or two operations. There's actually lots of interactions with the other organ systems. Uh, so I found it was reported. Personally, professionally, uh, it, I think at the end of the day, it really resonated with my personality of the way I like to do things. Allows a lot of creativity. I mean, you were a veritable titan in the field. You established an artificial heart program before Southern Alberta's first artificial heart device implant. Then you founded and directed the internationally renowned Calgary Thoracic Aortic Program until 2019. I know the story or the reason why you left, but I, I want to give you the chance to talk about why you left and how you felt about it in the immediate instant. It mustn't have been easy. Yes. Um, so career search that we talked about is rewarding. And for me, it was also like the clinical and the academic interaction and growing the field, contributing to the future. 
Uh, I stopped operating in 2019 because I had an injury to my neck and, uh, it became clear that the operating posture itself was contributing and, and, uh, you know, it involves a fair bit of flexion and extension when you're in surgery and I needed to keep my, what we call as the cervical spine with my, aligned with my thoracic spine. So keeping my neck aligned with the rest of my body and not stenting and flexing it so much. So, you know, it was, I felt like it was kind of the same conversation that I've had with many patients, which is like things have happened in the past. We can't, uh, change that, but we have to make some modifications going forward. So for me, it became clear that I couldn't continue operating. I'd have to do something different. Uh, I was requiring too many medications on a daily basis just to be able to operate. And, uh, so, you know, I think it's fortunate in some ways that we've been working through this for a few years, trying a bunch of different therapies, trying different drugs, et cetera. So I had a little bit of time, um, and it became clear that all these different maneuvers were trying were making headway. Um, so as I had to stop operating, I guess then the question became like, I'm still young, what do I do next? Tara kind of, you know, used to sort of doing cool things and, uh, having impact. You know, like if I'm not like holding someone's heart in my hat every day, how do I like continue to have impact with it? Uh, it's kind of cool. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, yeah. So what decision making algorithm there. Yeah. I mean, I, I can hear some of the thoughts that you went through and I guess the the, the heaviness of that decision, um, and I guess the work that you had to do in order to make flashback to the introduction, a pivot to where you are now. Um, and that's what I want to talk about now, or give you some space to talk about. You mentioned wanting to do something of impact that at least rival to some extent, the impact of holding someone's heart in your hand and, you know, helping them live a better life after, um, how did why did you make the pivot that you made? What did you make it to? And how did you make it? Um, I'll give you some so the, time so to really summarize that. Uh, the why would be around the fact that I knew I couldn't operate, so I had to do something different. And uh, so that was clearly the, the, the why, because cardiosurgery was already significant. Yeah. Uh, the how... Uh, is I think probably I use the same tools that I do for, for everything else, which is like, I just have an analytic type of mindset where I sort of come up with a, a long list of possibilities and go through the pros and cons of everything. And a little bit of uh, what we were talking about earlier is just like start doing things and then the yeah, the roads, uh, you know, become open up. I looked at things like at the clinics or do things outside of cardiac surgery. So I were to be trained to do ICU or maybe palliative care. I enjoyed those type of things. I also thought about like what I, what my personal goals in life were. Uh, I have this idea, like I like this concept of compounding or just like a snowball analogy of just getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, I wanted to compound, uh, 
knowledge to take one of their, you know, planted 25 years of medicine, apply that knowledge and learn more. And do compound meaningful relationships. Uh, so in deeper relationships with good people that I know and meet other good people through them. And the third was to compound dollars while doing those first two. So those are kind of like the goals I had is to shift look. I don't want to set up another career if it can't operate. And, uh, when I looked at 70 different things and, uh, along the way, and I sort of thought about where my strengths were, where my interests were, and also a part of it is like where you're at with life. I felt like I'd accomplished a lot clinically. Uh, so it allowed me to then do something else. Uh, Side. It's where I landed is kind of what I call is the intersection of uh, medicine, finance, and impact where I've run a uh, venture capital fund that is uh, investing in digital technology, machine learning uh, as a way to make a meaningful impact in healthcare. Uh, I'll maybe finish that off by saying that like one of the things that I was interested in early on was epidemiology and doing things on a large scale and credit surgery is a very much a one-on-one -on -one type of work really hard affect one patient fact it's impressive uh but i felt like doing things on a larger level it could have a different type of impact and uh as i reflected back on my life i kind of felt fortunate to sort of see two exponential technologies at one last time when I started university, there was this thing called www dot, and nobody knew how it would play out 30 years later. It was just another thing out there. And, uh, so when I look at machine learning today, you know, my assumption is that this is something that's going to affect all of us. We don't understand quite how we're going to use it 30 years from now. And what I'm interested in is how do we, you know, how's machine learning going to be used in healthcare? and how to we, uh, you know, help shape that path. Like I wasn't bright enough to understand how the internet was going to apply to all of us and be involved with the birth of the internet. But here was another opportunity and really I was going to focus still on my areas of expertise. My strength was in understanding medicine. Uh, so I was, you know, my, my focus is really, how do we help shape the path going forward? And by having a fund, what we do is we talk to, you know, great founders of all over the world, young people who want to change the world for better. We work with these people, we learn from them. And with each company we work with, we learn more that you can apply that to other companies in the portfolio and the next company we see. And that way we can help shape the path. Uh, even though I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I know how it's going to play out their vision, but based on learning some, you know, one experience and a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth experience, all concentrated in the space, we continue to learn and apply. Yeah. So I think it's always remains about learning and then applying that lot of knowledge to bear more. I don't think we learn so much if we don't apply. Hmm. It's, it's an interesting tip. From what you, you've talked about it, it sounds like you're driven by this idea of excellence somehow. Is, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think it annoys some people sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I well, I think I'm driven by it, but also like personally, it's just what I choose to get involved. In, right? Like if I'm going to spend my cycles, my time, effort, etc., I like it to be at a high quality. Uh, and I'm okay with other people who want to do whatever they want to do. Uh, I just don't need to necessarily be involved in a uh, superficial level type of things. And so, uh, I think we sort of got back on this theme a few times in this conversation is like, what resonates with your own aesthetic, right? So I prefer diving deep and, uh, no, you know, I'm not really good at gossip and sort of talking about the weather. I don't know why people talk about the weather when, uh, when they're not going to do anything about it and it's not going to change their day and it's not like, <laughs> you know, they're planning on playing beach volleyball today, but they're talking about the weather. So I just don't waste any cycles talking about <laughs> but that, man, that's just me. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> you this, is, just... this is a round table of the same kind of person. <laughs> okay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.